0: Four, three, two. Dante Cola Promotion presents the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. Starring Ed Grant, Tommy Martinez and Mr. Adam Tate, Executive Producer Shay. Big Bubba Martinez, and now, here's the greatest podcast, according to them, the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. <laughs>
1: Excellent. I like it.
0: <laughs> welcome, and welcome to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, season two, episode number 32. And no, uh, you will not be hearing anybody introducing me uh, this morning because my friend and rock and roll brother, not to leave out the humblest man that I know on planet Earth, Mr. Adam Tate, is not present. Uh, so I will attempt to do this podcast all by my lonesome. No, not... Hey, wh- where are you going? Now hold up. C- come back. Come back. Oh, come on. Can you believe that? He even slammed the door. Come back here. Well, it's your loss. I'm going to give it a shot. How will I do that? I have no idea. However, if you are listening, drop me an email at tommynadampod at gmail.com. Or you could write in the comment section of the DSP that you listen to this podcast. Quick note, let me know how I did. Hopefully, uh, I'll do them some justice. So uh, when I say them, it's uh, uh, Jay Big Bubba, our executive producer. He's also not here today. He hasn't been here for about, I want to say, six months, something like that. But Adam Adam had to take care of some personal business, which is understandable. So And he said, hey, uh, he told me last week, Tommy, I think you could do this podcast by yourself. And I said, absolutely, I could do it. Uh, The problem is I'm probably going to suck at it really, really, really bad. Without further ado, I just want to say that I had a fantastic week this past week, uh, not to be redundant, uh, at least not on purpose. My granddaughter, Amara Luna, my newest chulita, was born on Monday. Awesome day for us. Uh, Monday, it was a uh, Monday, the, uh, the 7th of, uh, of June. It was great. Uh, that would be uh, my third granddaughter, and uh, it's, uh, it's just absolutely an incredible feeling to be a grandpop, But I didn't just come on here to talk about my grandchildren. I'm not gonna do that, but Thank you, Jesus! <laughs> ah, come on, come on now, shit. What I came here to do is to do this podcast. So we're gonna go right in and start segueing into parts of this podcast. Here we go. We kept off uh last episode with uh, with the emails from our uh, from our legion of listeners, and that was Very cool. So we enjoyed that very much. So we're going to try to keep on uh, forging through. We're going to keep on pushing through with this effort that we've been doing here for almost two years. Yeah, last week, uh, I don't know if I got a chance maybe to just give you a quick recap of what Adam and me were doing last weekend. We were at the Steel Panther Show here in Wichita, Kansas at a venue called The Cotillion. We had a great time. It was it was an incredibly fantastic experience to be able to go out again uh, and interact with the crowd. Uh, I, I really don't want to ruin it too much uh, for when Adam does come back and we're able to uh, tell quickly uh, and briefly as, as much as we can of our experiences together there at that show. We're going to go ahead and highlight some great moments that uh, just to hear the guitar crank back up, just to hear the thunder of the drums, the bass the rock and roll singer, that 80s vibe that Steel Panther did bring to the stage, plus all the shenanigans and everything else. If you haven't listened to our Steel Panther show back in December of 2019, you could go ahead and revisit that one, and uh, you'll get a little feel for what we went through again, uh, and pleasurably, as a matter of fact, last Friday. The crowd there uh, was, uh I think, at a capacity that was more than acceptable especially coming off of this period that we've been put away for these 15 16 months. Uh I don't want to say post covid because covid really isn't over with I don't think it'll ever go away, ever go away. Uh, it'll be part of what we uh know commonly as the flu probably is what you know the news and the scientists are saying. But you know what do scientists know? They don't know too much it's according to according to uh conservative media. But yeah. Uh we just wanted to say that uh that, yes, they did behave. That was very uh, cool and kind of uh, unexpected of a, uh, you know, that rock and roll crowd, but uh, still, it was a great show. So, but I, again, I don't want to go ahead and ruin this story that we'll probably be able to tell together out of it. Me, uh, but uh, yeah, for just so you'll know that in some future episode, hopefully, very, uh, we'll be able to team up, you know, like Marvel team up, you know, Spider Man and Captain America, something like that, you know. So let's jump into the podcast, shall we? Today is, ladies and gentlemen, June the 12th, 2021, yeah, and this is The Scorpion Still Loving You. Time. Now, why would you uh, think that I chose uh, The Scorpion's tune, Still Loving You, because today... June the 12th is National Loving Day. Absolutely, yeah. No. Oh, no. Yeah, we'll just leave that for right now. <laughs> it's a little tricky pushing buttons and uh, trying to go everything, especially since it's been raining since last night, maybe started about 8, 8-something. Eight so well, there's still, still still, some thunder going out out there. So, yeah. But today is a uh, National Loving Day and you would ask uh, what's National Loving Day? Well, actually each year National Loving Day is on 12 June and it commemorates the anniversary of the 1967 United States Supreme Court decision of Loving versus Virginia. This decision struck down all anti-miscegenation laws remaining in the 16 states. Now, miscegenation, I don't know if I got that correctly, so I'm going to have to go and consult this with a creepy computer voice. What do you say? Did I say that correctly?
1: Miscegenation.
0: Miscegenation. Can you say it again? Miscegenation. I was in the zone, so yeah, sure. So that was the laws that were going on. Now, if you want to know what that is, that's actually the interbreeding of people considered to be of different racial types. Wow. So there was actual laws uh, back then that uh, prohibited people of different races and ethnicities to get married, according to some kind of stiff jerk-off that may or may not have been in office or has some kind of influence. It's probably, you know, some racist bastard came up with these. But still, you know, there were 16 states that were still following these. And uh, this couple, according to the story, they were childhood friends, Mildred and Richard. They had met when she was 11, he was 17. And over the years, they began courting, and in 1958, when Mildred turned uh, 18, the couple married in Washington and returned to their hometown north of Richmond, Virginia. However, two weeks later, authorities arrested the couple. Now, what kind of bullshit is that? They went ahead and arrested. Anyway, long story short is they were tried. They had to uh, make an agreement to leave the state. Uh, they actually actually pleaded guilty in order to avoid jail time. Now, that sucks. Now, while living in Washington, D.C., the Lovings started legal action by writing to Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, who referred the case to the American Civil Liberties Union. The court unanimously ruled in the Lovings' favor, and the Lovings returned to their Virginia home where they resided with their three children. Man, that's some, isn't that something? It's two people that love each other. And they can't have a life together as a married couple because uh, some, some of these jerk-off laws that used to exist in our country, the land of the free. Now, back then, it wasn't really the land of the free. So you got to understand that all these things are uh, really important. When it comes to how these laws shaped what we're enjoying today. And today we still got some jerk offs that uh, still don't believe in uh, interracial marriages. So, you know, come on, man. This is what what kind of bullshit is this? I tell you to go screw yourself if you still believe in that. And uh, you shouldn't be on planet Earth because, you know, we're all uh, human beings. We're all God's children. You can love whoever the hell you want to love. You can marry whoever you want to marry. You could do all those great things because we're all God's children, so I have no idea where they came up with it. Anyway, how do you observe National Loving Day? Well, you learn more about it by educating yourself, talking to your children about it, talking to your nephews, to your cousins, anybody that is young and needs to understand the importance of how you love each other. And that's very cool. There was a documentary on this. uh, There's podcasts, you know, maybe not like mine. Mine's just going to touch on this briefly. And, you know, little things like that, you could search on the Internet as uh, just go ahead and uh, type in the loving story. You know, and then when you do do that, you go ahead, hashtag yourself with National Loving Day and let, you know, let the world know through social media what you uh, you've done to uh, maybe educate yourself and those around you. I was reading ahead and I was chuckling a little bit because I saw uh, this quick note here that Virginia's logo is, uh, a state logo is, Virginia is for lovers. So I don't know if this came about of this loving story. And also today is National Jerky Day. So if you love some jerky, that would be any kind of jerky, be it beef, deer, whatever it may be. National Jerky Day. (laughs) Woo, moving along today in history. History brought to you by history.com. And uh, that's where we usually get all the information. And these are the Bee Gees Night Fever. Makes you want to go out and get your boogie shoes and dance the night away doing the hustle and everything else that went back down in that era. In uh, June the 7th, 1976, the New York Magazine, just like that, the title is The New York, published a story that eventually became Saturday Night Fever, the movie. Disco as a musical style predated the actual movie, Saturday Night Fever, uh, by perhaps as many as five years, it says here. But disco as an all-consuming cultural phenomenon might have never happened without the 1977 film and its multi-platinum soundtrack featuring such era-defining hits as this uh, from the Bee Gees we just heard, Night Fever, and Staying Alive, and If I Can't Have You. I don't know who sang that one, somebody. I forgot who it was. And it is surely certain the movie would not have happened without this article published and titled The Tribal Rights of the New Saturday Night by journalist Nick Cohn, which details the struggles and dreams of a talented young Italian-American disco dancer and his scruffy entourage in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, New York. As uh, we all know, that ended up to be uh, John Travolta, who played the part in the movie. And I believe the guy's name was Tony Tony Mamero. <laughs> no, Mamero would be uh, Mamero. Penis, <laughs> stop it, stop it. No, <laughs> no, don't start. And no, that was, I don't think that was his name. It was something like Tony Monero or Tony Monero or something, something to that effect. Anyway, it was a great story. I thought it was a great movie. I saw it, you know, no big deal. I've uh, been known to disco dance every once in a while. And I think, uh, I think it's very cool to know the history, the origins, if you may, of things like this, you know, like uh, why, uh, how did this story come about, you know, especially. Since it had a human element to it, it had its entertainment value of watching people dancing. Because there's people who actually enjoy watching other people dancing. You have that. And you also had the drama, that human factor, that struggle that people go day to day, especially in those tough streets of New York. And what people had to go through uh, the social classes and the racism... The day-to-day workmen nine-to-five dreaming of being something big, such as, you know, Tony um, Mamera was doing his thing. So, yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm kind of flashing back here I'm on my own. I usually flash back with my buddy Adam. And when I flash back, I really, really, really go off the script uh, if, if we had one. But, yeah, I was remembering uh, I, I mentioned uh, watching people dance. And so I, I flash back to my dad. My dad, Big Mike Martinez. Big city, baby. <laughs> that, that would be him right there. And, I, and I, I think I've said this before on the podcast. My dad is known for uh, being a, a guy who worked really, really hard. And he played just as hard as he worked. Working class guy, worked hard all his life. But he's been retired for a while. He retired out of the city of Añasco. Did some years out there and uh, when we moved to Puerto Rico. And that's where we ended up working. Anyway, long story short, is my dad used to drink like crazy, so he'd work and he'd drink, and he'd work and he'd drink and he'd work and he That Was my dad's life, and uh, he he made sure that you know at least we had a uh, we had you know a, a roof, and food, and but anyway, that's neither here nor there. But my dad used to go and. Uh, and go to all these dances and he'd play the maracas and you know he just carried on and one time we were at my uh my cousin mary's wedding oh this must have been like 19 1982 something like that and it was a huge wedding she married uh, some engineer It was a really lavish wedding in my West Puerto Rico. Anyway, my dad was working at the time for the Department of Natural Resources. So it was some gig he had at the beaches, you know, like, you know, doing some maintenance and whatnot. And he he was at his it was during Christmas time when my cousin got married and my dad had been previously to the wedding. Uh, what he was attending his, uh, his office party or, you know, the, the place where he worked at this department of natural research. So he already came to the wedding all sauced up. So he was ready to go. My cousin's uh, husband was in a, like an, a merengue kind of salsa band. Uh, he played in one. And so he had that band and he had some other buddies band both of them play the sweating so the music never stops so my dad gets there and he's already you know you you could you know it's it's kind of comical I could still see him kind of like you know getting loose if if it was gonna be like for a race you'd see him do that quick stretch where he grabs uh, the, uh, his foot and he pushes back and stretches out his thigh. I'm exaggerating when I say that, but if you can imagine that that was kind of my dad as while the music is being, uh, getting ready to be played, the musicians are tuning their instruments and my dad's already ready to go. You know, if there would have been a stick with a skirt, my dad would have danced with it. And my dad had this theory that women who dance with women, and if you've been out of your home and you've been to a wedding, you always see that, or you've been to a club or you've been wherever there's any kind of dancing. You always see ladies dancing with ladies for different reasons. Sometimes there's ladies that are already married uh, that their husbands don't dance. They'll dance with a lady, whatever it was. But for my dad, that was such a crime that a lady would have to dance with a lady. You know, having, having men available, for lack of a better term. But <laughs> that was my dad's deal. And, you know, it wouldn't matter, you know, as long as, as, long as it was a lady he he would dance, and uh, it was it didn't matter if they were skinny, fat, tall, small. It didn't make no difference to my dad. If they could move, my dad was moving with them. So we were at this table, like you know, all the all the guys that are trying to be cool, and we were at this one table. And and if you know anything about you know underage drinking and things like that, that was going on. You know, I didn't do any of that because I'm I've never been a drinker. But you know, I was there, and my dad would every once in a while come out to the table and he would mock all these young dudes that were there to include me. You know, he would go, you, you, you. Then he'd point at me and go, especially you, you're all pendejos, you know. Like, oh, you are just suckers, all these ladies here. And you guys are bullshitting at this table trying to be cool. Then my friends would say, that's so fucked up, man. Your dad, shit. (laughs) I said, what the hell you want me to do? He's kind of Right. You go back out there and dance with them. Yeah, but that was my thing. So I guess night fever and the dancing and watching people dance, I guess, flashed me back to that. But, man, those were crazy days. So in a kind of a sense, you know, I, I'm not I, I don't consider myself a, a dancer as, you know, as let's say I want to do that every night or I want to go out and do that. But I, I did learn. And in great part, I guess I was I, I was shamed into it. I'm OK. And and with it, I, I, I can, you know, if if. I have a theory, and I think I've told Adam a thousand times after 11, 12 o'clock, when everybody's drunk, nobody's going to see you, and if they do, they won't remember, and if they do say something to you, you could tell them they were hallucinating. So, yeah, it was one of those things where it comes to uh, to dancing and whatnot, but that's my story, and I, and I taught my kids both... Uh, Monica and Jeremy to socially uh, learn how to dance, you know, and, and and go out there and and participate and have a good time because that's really what's about. So in ways, yeah. So uh, no, it has nothing to do with Saturday Night Fever, but it did it did have uh, something to do with dancing. So there, there's my first flashback of uh, the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, Castbox, Himalaya, and all your favorite uh, DSPs. That was today in history. And with that note, we're going to segue into Today in Sports History Yep Brought to you by History.com And onthisday.com slash sports Here he comes
1: Here comes Speed Racer He's
0: a And, <laughs> and the that is the theme to Speed Racer How cool is that? Haven't heard that in a long time that was uh, I watched that kid that uh, show religiously as a kid I loved it you know, and it's just, Is the powerful Mach 5, yeah. <laughs> I have to sing a little bit. Come on now. Uh, but it was a pretty awesome series. Uh, I really, really enjoyed a young guy driving this super fast, super cool vehicle, uh, which was the Mach 5. But we're not going to be talking about the Mach 5 in this day of sports history. We're going to be talking about a, uh, a race that occurred in Mans, France, where a race car went out of control and crashed into the stands with, the, with spectators, killing 82 people. The tragedy occurred at the famous 24-hour uh, race led to a ban on racing in several nations. So this had repercussions that extended past France. In one of these days, I'm going to research and try to find out why in Europe or uh, these other countries, these race cars or these races are held on the streets i just uh sometimes I, i'd like to know why that happens myself i mean this is 82 people dead uh, as a result of this accident and watching cars go fast may be as entertaining as watching people dance i have no idea what it is i've been to nascar and other of these races and yeah sure it's cool to be around the kind of the circus environment of uh, these folks and see them all worked up and fanatical about you know their cars and and the drivers of these cars. So I I, I just I've never found the appeal to that. Now the quarter mile race that's uh, more exciting to me. I, I like going out there and uh, let's see. I think the last time I went to a quarter mile race I went with Jeremy. And we were back in St. Louis. I had a couple of free tickets. And I had some tickets to go see that quarter-mile race out there. I want to say, ooh, it's the NASCAR Gateway out in, uh, I think that's Madison, Madison, Illinois. And uh, we were watching the quarter-mile race, Jeremy and me. And it was pretty cool. I mean, I had a Casey T-shirt. And I think that's where I got my tickets from. And it was pretty cool. You get to see the cars uh, compete against each other and compete within seconds and you'll know who the winner is but this uh this race in particular was a 24-hour race uh it says here that all the big names in car manufacturing were there jaguar ferrari mercedes maserati and early in the race a frenchman called uh, pierre levain uh driving a mercedes the car's number was number 20 uh crashed into a british austin martin uh that broke up and then went into the stands that's that was the uh 82 people dying as a result. So that's a little extreme, I guess, and maybe barriers and things of that nature were at that point constructed. I, what I do know is that they love watching those cars go. That's that. Oh, there, there, there goes one right now. Uh, maybe, maybe that's uh, maybe that's Adam pulling up. Uh, no, not really. I don't. I don't think that's Adam. But yeah. Well, there you go. Ed, he's actually leaving. He's leaving the podcast. He's, whoa. <laughs> Come back, Adam, please! <laughs> Woo! Yeah, he, he even went faster after I told him that one, yeah. But that's what people like. I I mean it's one of those things that you really don't. I mean, as little boys and you, you play with cars, so you have this fascination with those uh those uh cars going really, really fast. Maybe maybe that's why Adam decided to step on the gas when I said, Hey Adam, come on back to the and sit out at this podcast. Today I mean, go, it's rock. Today, place, it's day, day, today in rock history, baby. Brought to you by History.com, Today and Music.com, SongFacts.com, Slash History, and this is Jefferson Airplane. She has funny cars. Sixties rock and roll. We go from uh, a story, a history story, sports history story uh, with cars to a Song with cars in its title. It's a Jefferson Airplane, yeah. And uh, today, in uh, June the 10th, 1967, in rock history, uh, California's Magic Mountain Festival, considered to be the first... rock music festival featuring Jefferson Airplane, The Doors and The Birds played to a crowd of 15,000. We could put 15,000 today anywhere really. But the cool and interesting is interesting thing about this it really doesn't have a lot of importance in history because the following weekend at the Monterey Pop Festival, which we all know about that where the Stones played and I believe that's where the infamous Hell's Angel story came about. Also, Jimi Hendrix and some other the big stars of the 60s played. 200,000 people in attendance, which completely dwarfed this Magic Mountain Music Festival. And like with everything during this time in music history, there's some controversy to one thing or the other. Because I I believe, if I remember correctly, it said that 20,000 tickets were sold for it. They have fifteen thousand recorded, but some news sources say up to forty thousand people attended this festival. Which obviously, nineteen sixty-seven, full of hippies and and all kinds of psychedelics going on. Psychedelics probably as the drugs and tripping and whatnot. I think Diane Warwick also performed in this. If if you know if I can remember still what what I, I had read, it's kind of one of those things that it's, it has a really cool. Vibe to mention that, you know, when somebody's uh, talking about music festivals like today's festivals, as there's a ton of festivals that's going to be going on this summer, uh, Metallica is going to be in one of them. There's one up there in Chicago, I want to say the Lollapaloozas are a music festival. So it's good to know a little bit of that also as well. You know, you never know, it'll probably come up in some kind of trivia, but yeah, the Magic Mountain Music Festival was marked in the record books as today 1967. Oh yeah. We're just gonna segue right into some Guns N' Roses and their uh, cover of the Stones' Sympathy for the Devil. A very cool song. I love this song. Guns N' Roses did a great job on it, too. Hopefully, I won't cut it off uh, that uh, abruptly like I cut off (laughs) that Jefferson Airplane song. uh, There's Axel right there going off. But yeah, today, 1968, June the 11th, 1968, during a recording session while the Rolling Stones were working on Sympathy, for the devil, their actual their actual song, you know, a uh, fire broke out in the s- in the studio, while many were quick to point out it was Lucifer. Like, mm, of course, they're working on a song that that mentions that he <laughs> Hail Satan! <laughs> Adam comes in for that. I, I I don't know why he does that, but yeah, it was actually caused by. A uh, light being used by the camera crew that was documenting the session. So there was nothing really all that mysterious to this tidbit of history. That happened uh, on June the 11th, 1968. Well, we're going to jump right into another one here with Deep Purple and their uh, great song, Highway Star. Take it away, guys. And this is how you do it. For those listening, probably are getting that video game flashback when this was on the, uh, I think it was a a video game commercial. I'm not 100% sure. But a very cool song. Yeah. Yeah. 1970. June the 8th,
1: 1970.
0: Deep Purple had their van and equipment impounded by East German police while on a portion of their European tour. They had mistakenly been driving too close to the border when the East Germans, communist East Germans, when both those Germanies were divided. They were detained by East uh, German cops, and it could have been worse. It could have been not only their equipment was impounded, but their dumbasses could have went to jail. So I guess they made out pretty good. It wasn't wasn't some major tragedy and Deep Purple uh was able to uh continue their uh trajectory as being one of the uh probably one of the uh, most famous rock bands out there, you know, from the 60s 70s era. Everybody knows them from Smoke on the Water obviously, but they have and I and I believe Adam and me had already mentioned a bunch of these uh a bunch of these other songs that they had uh they actually uh, wrote and performs. If you're interested, you go back into one of the other episodes of the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. This song by Mr. Elton John, "Someone uh, Save My Life Tonight," on the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. When I, <laughs> oh, I got to entertain myself some way. 1975, ladies and gentlemen, June the 7th, 1975, and I was 10 years old, Elton John's Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy with the hit Someone Saved My Life Tonight, yes, this one you were just hearing right now, became the first album, the numero uno to debut in the U.S., It holds the top spot for seven consecutive weeks. Now, here's something really cool. To debut in number one, you have to have some incredible buzz. You have to be pretty much well-known. You have to have an incredible and super loyal fan base to just go out, mad dash, pick up this album so the charts could register whatever units you're selling units as adam usually knows i wish he was here because that way he could explain that a little bit more or maybe go a little bit more in depth with that have all those units sold and debut on the charts as number one that's an incredible feat given that at the time the way buzz was stirred was either by radio stations or by word of mouth and, you know, uh, live performances, concerts, uh, promotional tours, things like that. But pretty cool. I think that's uh, an incredible feat. And to be the number one to do that, you know, that is an amazing, an amazing accomplishment. Uh, So congratulations, Mr. Elton John. Not that you need my congratulations. I just didn't know that until a little while ago. So yeah, very, 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 very cool. You know I'm proud to be black, y'all. And that's a fact, y'all. And if you're trying to tell me what's better get back, y'all. <laughs> Run DMC. Proud to be black. Licky, 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 licky. You must be going, hmm, I wonder what year he's going to lay this one on us. 1979, ladies and gentlemen. Run DMC. Ah. Oh was probably hanging out somewhere in, in Brooklyn or in Queens, wherever they're from, because this uh, tidbit of history has, has nothing to do with Run DMC, but it does have to do with uh, black music. In June the 7th, 1979, President Jimmy Carter decreed June as Black Music Month. Bet you didn't know that. And that is, well, the, the, the time. It was black. It wasn't African American or the uh, African American community is known by today but but again uh things do change so in uh 2009 uh, president barack obama changed it to african-american music month (laughs) and to all those children of the 60s and 70s that are not really all that politically correct you could be mad at president obama all you want on this one but as things are going today uh the cancel culture probably would have had their hands all over this one as well, so So now what is this you ask it's going to give it away here in a second, because we're going to be talking about some God and religion (laughs) Joan Osborne remember her not related to Ozzy and her song what if God was one of us I kind of wish he was related to Ozzy. This would be a little bit more cranked up right now. Yeah. 1987. We jump from the 70s to the 80s. This has nothing to do with uh, Joan Osborne. On June the 6th, 1987, after being criticized by church members for his worldliness, Michael Jackson cuts ties with the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> now I thought this is pretty interesting. I, I, I did know that Michael Jackson was a Jehovah's Witness. Now, I would think here's Michael Jackson, 1987. Thrillers already happened. You know, he's a he's the king of pop. He is just burning through all these awards, and it's Michael hysteria everywhere. And you would think that he has some money. So you would think that whoever the counsel of the Jehovah's Witnesses was be going, damn it, okay, Mike doesn't go out there and knock on doors and whatnot. But, you know, he's still one of us. Come on. And so you would change the song from what if God was one of us? How about in this case you did? You had Michael Jackson was one of you. So I, I don't know, Jehovah's, I think you guys uh, did a, a big boo-boo on this one. <laughs> Okay, and every once in a while maybe you could have talked to Michael. And you you know, he travels the entire world. He could have went door to door and he would have had one the little magazine, the watchtower. Oh, look at hello, I'd like to talk to you. <laughs> That's my horrible Michael Jackson uh, voice. Oh. Don't do that babe. oh. 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 <laughs> Two Live Crew, me so horny. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the, the correct segue, uh, but still, it was, I, I thought it was funny. I, I hope you got a chuckle from it. Two Live Crew, 1990, June the 6th, 1990. The Two Live Crew album, As Nasty. As They Wanna Be becomes the first album declared legally obscene when federal district judge Jose Gonzalez rules that the album violates community obscenity standards in three South Florida counties, in Broward, Dade, and in Palm Beach. I think there's some partying going on in those counties. The ruling sets off a censorship firestorm. Hello. Doesn't anybody pay attention to history? which drive sales of the album past the two million copies. That's nuts. Two days later, a record store owner was arrested for selling the album, and two days after that, the group was arrested for performing the songs in a concert. You know, what were the chances? These guys are riding high. They're making a lot of money. The court ruling was eventually overturned. There is no such thing as bad publicity. There is absolute, it doesn't exist. I was alive and well for this whole thing. I saw it go down on NTV. So is it Luke Skywalk and the rest of those dudes from Two Life Crew were having the time of their life. Being arrested, you know, that was validation. Censorship. Time and time again. All it does is spark curiosity it's a winning formula for anybody who wants to get a product out go and do something crazy or what's considered socially crazy get it out there somebody's gonna pick it up if it's some kind of cause like censorship and constitutional rights and all these other things that people get all excited at and upset about, they're going to buzz a lot of publicity. And publicity creates curiosity, and curiosity produces sales. It's that simple. Learn, people learn. The Tommy and Adam Hard to name podcast, won't last you forever. What? What's this? This
1: was never the way I planned.
0: This is probably a first. My Katy Perry. On the, uh, on the podcast with I Kissed the Girl. Yeah, that's enough of that. I'm sure you guys have heard this over and over again. This tidbit in history is not about Katy Perry, but it's about Sinead O'Connor. On June the 8th, 2000, Sinead O'Connor came out as a lesbian during an interview with Curve Magazine saying, I would say that I'm a lesbian, although I haven't been very open about that. And throughout most of my life, I've gone out with blokes because I haven't necessarily been terribly comfortable about being a lesbian. But I actually am a lesbian. She marries a man the following year and says she's three quarters heterosexual and one quarter gay. Now, this is 2000. Wow, she's ahead of her time. In this case, Sinead O'Connor actually gave you kind of like a scientific breakdown. She somehow calculated her percentages of heterosexual and lesbian. That's uh, pretty incredible. Uh, I'm sure she has the formula somewhere. I think they should share it on social media somehow so (laughs) all that social conditioning could just multiply. Anyway, the day after Curve Magazine ran the interview with O'Connor and her lesbian declaration of admittance, the Irish singer appeared on the Rosie O'Donnell show to perform her anthemic single, No Man's Woman, uh, anthemic, Mm, okay. Anthemic is Queen's We Will Rock You. Anthemic would be Kiss's Rock and Roll All Night and Party Every Day. Anthemic would be ACDC's Highway to Hell. Anthemic would be probably any song by Led Zeppelin. That's anthemic, not No Man's Woman by Sinead O'Connor. No, it's not going to work that way. But her song, No One Compares to You, written by Prince, pretty good song. That's just me. Going back to this lesbian thing. Now, we're at Gay Pride Month. Okay, that's cool. No worries with that one. All the diversity stuff, the acceptance things, things that we're trying to teach or, as they would say, socially condition the world into a little bit more acceptance and respect for that community. And everything that that accomplishes in in that respect, I have nothing but absolute support with because we're still in a world where we got some crazy folks that just don't get it. So all these groups are going to try to buck for some time. This little thing here with Sinead O'Connor, as with any other artist, and I've said this before. A ton of times on uh, this podcast and in my personal life. If you have a talent, you don't have to be declaring yourself lesbian or homosexual, whatever it is. You you know, straight, uh, half half zebra. I. It doesn't make no difference to me. If you have the talent, you could put it out. I think we could appreciate it. It doesn't matter what the hell you are. Great stories behind it. It'll help. People that are with those insecurities of uh, of how people are gonna how people are gonna accept them, heavy metal world. Rob Halford of of Judas Priest just wrote a book. Uh, I believe it's an autobiography. Actually, I think it's called Confess. Great story to listen to about his whole life and a singer of one of the greatest rock groups, heavy metal groups, and we've covered that before here in this podcast. But, but even before uh, he, he wrote this, this autobiography, he was uh, in, I believe it was in New York, and he was being interviewed. And he, in the interview, just inadvertently just went ahead and let the world know that he was a homosexual. And this is way before the book. And, and, and I guess it was a big surprise to a lot of us, the fans. We didn't know. And, and the reason we didn't know is because we didn't care. We really, really enjoyed Rob Halford, his voice, the power that he projects on stage, and you know, I've said this before. Also, he's 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 been one of the uh, the generals of carrying the heavy metal banner, and it made no difference. Yeah, there he is, right there. There, there it's awesome. Listen to that, man. Come on now, you have to be screaming this or the other. end and, and uh, that's uh, Judas Priest uh, off of their album "Sad Wings of Destiny" and you know "Victim of Changes." where you can get to enjoy that range, uh, the different kinds of uh, tones and metallic power that Rob Halford puts out. So hey, listen to all the, all the uh, folks out there, all the young people that may be listening to this podcast, just do your art. If uh, people love it, they're going to love it. If people are going to hate it, they're going to hate it. Haters are going to hate. I, I believe that's what the young people say. So yeah, forget that nonsense and concentrate on your craft. Because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. Oh, by the way, happy Happy Pride Month! Oh, yeah, flip mode. Break your fucking neck, Uh oh. All right, calm down there, yeah. Mr. Busta. Bust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's just go into a little bit more uh, uh, relaxed piece of history here on rock and roll. Well, you know, popular culture. Busta Rhymes. From Flipmo, this guy you just heard here, <laughs> break your neck. Anyway, Busta Bust, a bust uh, rode atop of his own float in the National Puerto Rican Day Parade in New York. <laughs> yeah, why not? I'm here to thoroughly represent the entire spectrum of the urban community, is what uh, Busta Bust was quoted as saying that day. You know what? Good for you. If you know anything about Puerto Ricans, you know that the Puerto Rican Day Parade's a big deal. In uh, New York City, uh, it's the National uh, Puerto Rican Day Parade, which I, I've been there with my uh, with my kids and my wife. You know, I believe you should uh, you should experience that if you're of uh, my ethnicity and you know whatever ethnicity you are, go out there and experience some of your own culture. I, I it was uh, it was it's awesome. I went out there with my cousin Mookie and and uh, Iris, and we had a great time. It was just awesome, and and, and the fact that Bus the Bus went out there and had his own flow, good for him. You know, if you know anything about our ethnicity. We're a combination of uh, three uh, races. We're, uh, you know, Spaniards, uh, I guess the Caucasian race, and we have uh, some of the combination of the Africans that came from, uh, that were kidnapped out of Africa and brought over to uh, the New World, as it was called, uh, to be slaves, and then some of the, I guess, some of the uh, lineage of the Taino Indians or the Arawak Indians. (laughs) So, yeah, sure. Mr. Buster Rhymes, thank you, sir, for participating in our... National Puerto Rican Day Parade. And I believe this is Gary Newman and Cars. Uh, I won't be talking about Mr. Gary Newman, but yeah. I thought this song was appropriate for what I'm about to speak about. But yeah. Oh, today, by the way, is also uh, the National Puerto Rican Day Parade. Uh, in New York City, it's the second Saturday of June, yeah, so all everyone who went out there and enjoyed that, uh, and you listened to this podcast, thank you, thank you very much. Muchas gracias, de acá de Kansas, tú sabes. <laughs> June the 6th, 2001, Mr. Elton John auctioned off 20 vehicles from his personal car collection. Car collection, I like that. Earning a... $2.75 million in uh, that auction that day. I'd say that's pretty cool. I've seen those car auctions, uh, I want to say. I, don't, I forget what the, uh, the company that does that. Usually it's on the Speed Channel. You watch them, you see these very, very cool cars come through and people bid on them. And Just like any other auction, very, very exciting, I guess. A certain way. I mean, it's exciting to me. I like cars. So, Nonetheless, Mr. Elton John says he doesn't have time to drive them anymore that's uh, the lifestyles of the rich and famous i like that you know that's very 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 cool Knowing out to johnny probably put him up for auction and, uh, to give them out to charity probably i don't good for him anyway culture club the metal song Wow, I think that's, is that the, no, I think probably, we probably played Culture Club before on this podcast. So I would say, uh, sure. But the metal song, 2005, June the 11th, 2005. At the Queen of England's birthday honors list, Brian May, the Queen guitarist and founding member of the group, was awarded a CBE. Now, what's a CBE? That is a Commander of the Order of the British Empire medal. Very cool, I guess. Also on that list was Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. Guitar shredding legend as well. He was ordered a OBE. The Order of the British Empire. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read this because I'm going to screw this up. But the Order, the uh, Commander of the Order of the British Empire, or the CBE, is, uh, it says here, the highest ranking Order of the British Empire, excluding a knighthood or a damehood. I guess when you, I guess the, the males are knights and the ladies are dames. Uh, and that medal is uh, followed by the OBE and then the MBE. The uh, CBE, you know, that's the one that Brian May got, uh, which was higher than Jimmy Page's, is awarded to individuals for having a prominent role at the national level or a leading role at regional level. In this case, I would say he had a uh, prominent role at the international level, both of them actually did. Very influential guitarist, have inspired many generations of guitarists. And uh, I believe uh, Adam and me have enjoyed countless hours of their music. So good for them in winning this uh, or earning this medal. The CBE and the OBE and whatnot, so good for them. Anyway, I think this is a great time to segue right into this. Settle down, class. It's this week's Rockin' Higher Education Lesson on Led Zeppelin 101 with Professor Adam Lee. Right. Here's some Zeppelin with the gallows pole. Actually, this is the rough cut.
1: Hang man, hang man. Very cool song. Little, little Let me bring it
0: down, just a tad. I think
1: I see my friends
0: coming the professor's not here uh, today, as you all know. So I'm gonna attempt to do uh, this segment some justice. I have three of them, so let me see which one I'm going to pick. Mm, let me see. Okay. Uh, 1977, that's the one I'm going to go with. It's going to be June the 7th, 1977. And let me break this down just a tad more. Uh, Led Zeppelin played the first of six sold-out nights at the Madison Square Garden in New York City during their 11th and final north american tour playing three hour sets that is absolutely brutal but it had to be an explosion of sound in your head as the zeps went ahead and played for that long anyway the tickets cost 850 and uh, that was the starting price and then they would end up with 10.50, so that is uh, so between eight dollars well, or more between nine dollars and eleven dollars, you got to see Zeppelin play for three hours. That is absolutely brutal, man. This is where I wish I had a time machine. And uh, Adam, hopefully, uh, I do get some extra credits for this, buddy, because studying for these things is pretty rough, dude. All right, moving on. Journey's Don't Stop Believing, 2007. It's a very popular song. My my kids know this one, especially Monica. She loves karaoke to this stuff. So, uh, June the 10th, 2007, in the last scene of the HBO series, The Sopranos, Don't Stop Believing by Journey, right here, plays on the jukebox while Tony Soprano sits at a diner. It cuts to black. On the line, don't stop. Boom, and it's over with. Mm, There was a lot of controversy of how how this series ended, this HBO series ended. I I saw it. I loved it. Uh, I I didn't particularly like the ending because it left it too open. There was a lot of, you know, like everything else in popular culture, these guys write this. David Chase, I believe, is the uh, creator of the series, also a series known for its use of popular music. He actually chose the music for the episodes himself so that's very very cool and uh it was i don't know it was like don't stop believing don't don't stop believing what that the series was gonna come back or anyway james Gandolfini passed away so there's no way there was no way uh the series could be revived or maybe if it's used in a different timeline a younger a younger tony soprano maybe an older one i don't know maybe. Uh, AJ Takes Over I have no idea Anyway The bottom line is I thought it was a great series How it ended uh, It's okay Evidently we all uh, survived We're still alive today So Thank you Mr. David Chase I thought It was a great series So And if there is any chance Of reviving it I'll be watching Everyone knows what this is This is Sweet Child of Mine But it's not Guns N' Roses. It is Slash and the Conspirators. Miles Kennedy and Company. Awesome pairing, by the way. I thought that Miles Kennedy always does a great job with uh, Guns N' Roses songs. So, yeah. June the 10th, 2010. Appearing at Milan's uh, Palace Sharp Arena, is what it says here, to promote his self titled uh, solo record. Slash, in the midst of performing the Guns N' Roses classic, Sweet Child of Mine, was tackled by a concert goer. Hmm. I guess those guys out there in, uh, what is it, Milan? Is it Italy? Sure. Anyway, the guitarist bravely kept on rocking, eventually switching guitars and finishing the song. Afterwards, Slash described the night as a kick-ass rock show. Now that is a way. To uh, even further your legend, so here you are. You're playing. Some <laughs> nutbag comes running on stage and tackles. You know the the main dude slash. Very dangerous, by the way. Probably got his ass kicked. I hope he got his ass kicked. So I won't try that shit again. But still, very very cool. Probably just as cool as what I'm about to play you right here. <laughs> <laughs> that's some horrible audio, <laughs> uh, but it goes with this tidbit in history. That is Mr. Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. Yep, right here in Wichita, back in September of 2015. That's some of my own. That's some of my own personal uh, video footage of that mess. But yes, I'm going to cut that off right there. And the song playing was "All My Life," which, if you didn't make it out on the audio of that video. Well, that's what the song was. But yeah, Mr. Dave Grohl, back on June the 12th, uh, 2015, he uh, fell off the stage and broke his leg during a Foo Fighters show in Gutenberg, Sweden. He received medical attention on the spot. And, but returned to finish the show propped up while someone held his leg. That is so cool. We always sing the praises here of Mr. Dave Grohl on this podcast. And this is one of the reasons why. This guy respects his fans so much. He respects the crowd that goes to see him. That with a broken leg that has to be uh, in an incredible pain, singing and playing the guitar, he gets to finish the show. Uh, The rest of the the European tour was canceled, unfortunately, while he got some surgery. But the tour resumed on July the 4th in Washington, D.C. with Gro performing from a custom-made guitar throne, which, again, Adam and myself got to see. This show, uh, Adam, uh, Jay, I want to say Luke went with us as well. And we had a great time. And just to see him, I, I was watching the video while I was playing that. And, you know, it really revved me up. It's like, wow, I still remember that. Obviously, the, the audio was just absolutely horrible. But it didn't make a difference because this was probably one of the coolest moments that Adam and myself got to see. Uh, that's why Adam is my rock and roll bro. <laughs> yeah, Dave Grohl. One, two, three, four. This weekend. Oh, yeah. guess I've cut to my segment. Let's go rock and roll by Kiss. Live. Love this song as well. I love all this. This is just for the benefit of uh, the viewers. A lot of these songs tonight were my songs. This is definitely my song. (laughs) Yeah, Kiss. Let me go rock and roll. June the 9th, 2017, today in history, Mr. Gene Simmons filed a trademark application for the Devil's Horn Hand Gesture, which he claimed being the inventor of in 1974. We all know what that is. That is the Devil's Horn Salute. Yes, he actually claimed <laughs> that he was the inventor of this. Yeah, this is the reason why you got to love Mr. Gene Simmons. The description in the trademark application read hand gesture with the index and small fingers extended upward and the thumb extended perpendicular. This is also the sign language symbol for I love you. Rendered on the keyboard with a backslash, the letter M forward slash uh, on the keyboard. And the hook'em horns of the University of Texas and the surfer hang loose gesture. But Gene's filing is for entertainment purposes, namely... Live performance by a musical artist, personal appearance by a musical artist. If granted, it was possible musicians will have needed his permission before throwing the horns on stage. Throwing the horns is when, you know, you give the metal salute. According to Simmons, he invented the gesture when he used it at a concert in 1974. He is seen using it on the cover of the 1977 Kiss album, Love Gun. Simmons is not, by the way, great, great album as well. Simmons is not the first musician to use the gesture. John Lennon did it on the cover of the Yellow Submarines single in uh, 1966. The band Coven did it on the album artwork of their 1969 debut, Witchcraft. Although this variation, popularized by Ronnie James Dio when he joined Black Sabbath in 1979, is with a thumb folded inward. So there's different variations of the devil's horn salute or throwing of the horns, as they say. But you know what, Mr. Gene Simmons, thank you, sir. You gave it a good try. And just for that, I am going to salute you I am going to devil's horn salute you. It's that time to kick back in the Tommy and Adam hard to name podcast, Time Machine. Open your mind and listen to the significant album. Who knows? You may even be delightfully wounded by one of Mr. Adam Tate's deep cuts. Listen up, it's about to get real heavy. Ah! That's right. It is a significant out of time. And today we got something really great for you. It is Aerosmith's Aerosmith.
1: Good
0: evening people. welcome to the show. I want you to know. On June 12th, 1966, Steven Tallarico, after buying pot. From an undercover cop posing as a student at his high school was arrested and charged with none other than drug possession he was given a year's probation and labeled a youthful offender which later keeps him from getting drafted Rico later became Steven tyler ladies and gentlemen if you haven't figured that one out yet and formed errol smith and this right here is their debut studio album Aerosmith's Smith. released on January 5th 1973 on Columbia Records yep it's a pretty good album I would say a must-have in your collection you know getting back into listening to albums you know I know COVID's over with hopefully you guys got to listen to some uh, albums while uh you were uh, put away for COVID But this album is uh, has the classic lineup Steven Tyler, of course, Joe Perry Brad Whitford on rhythm guitar uh, Brad Hamilton uh, on the bass And Mr. Joey Kramer on the drums Eight great records uh, Eight great tracks on this record You gotta check them out This one right here is Making It Talking about exactly what... Uh, they wanted to do they wanted to make a great album when it comes to the bluesy sounds a lot of guitars uh here's a little little example of that and you know, it had to have been an exciting time you know, these guys were young they were ready to conquer the world you could start hearing mr uh stephen tyler's voice already forming into that classic sound that is Aerosmith. You could already hear the tonalities in his voice. It's just... This is rock and roll Americana coming out of your speakers, without a doubt. That little track's called Somebody. Uh, You know, I... I really don't have nobody to bounce off my uh, my data. Usually I have Adam here to feed off of this. So I'm gonna try to speed up through this as best as I can. Next, next record on this one is uh, everybody's familiar with. Now, Dream On was originally released as a single in 1973, and uh, it became an American top 10 hit when re-released back in December of 1975. In other words, it took two years for this song right here to make it. The album peaked though. Uh, at number twenty-one on the U.S. Billboard 200 album chart in 1976, so it took a little while for uh, for the public, for the rock and roll uh, fandom, to to warm up to these guys right here. In other words, they were around town, paying their news, in it, uh, their dues in it, uh, initially in uh, Boston, and then they uh, went out to the world, and I would say they did a really damn good job in ca- conquering the world. So we all know about that song right here. Next one is One Way Street. Little, uh, I would say, listen to this one right here. I would say, when it kicks in, it has that little New Orleans flavor harmonica going. And and Steven Tyler something really interesting. He's a multi instrumentalist, instrumentalist. Initially, he was also a swing drummer. So these are really cool things about, uh, you know, the overall musician. Not only is he a great frontman, he's also a, uh, a great uh, instrumentalist. So it's, he he was destined to be as great as they really are. next tune right here. I'm sure you guys have heard it. uh, Covered a few times. Definitely by Guns N' Roses. This is Mama Kin. One of my faves right here. Yep. Mm. It just picks up speed. Next one is uh, Write Me A Letter. Now, the whole thing with this record is it's basically one speed with the exception of Dream On. Again, it's a debut album. These guys are trying to to, uh, make it just like their uh, initial song, their uh, number one track on this record. The last tune is one of my favorite of of all time, which is Moving Out. Same thing, has that really cool, oh, 1970s flair to it, but still, you know, it's, it's ageless. You know, you could kind of feel it when they went in to get a grip or permanent vacation, they gave you a taste of all these things they could do. So this is like the first uh, serving of what they could do. Oh, I love this song.
1: Mm.
0: Last track on this is Walking the Dog. And uh, I'm gonna pretty much uh, close this out with Walking the Dog for a significant album. But I want to tell you this right here. If you get a chance, buy this record. Uh, and if not, download this record. Do whatever you need to do. This is a top to bottom must have. And you're going to enjoy it, and you're going to kick back, and you're going to say, Tommy, you were right. Now. Even though I had not my regular banter with my homeboy here, uh, Mr. Adam Tate. So. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was a significant album, "Walking the Dog." I'm losing win here without my significant buddy. Significant album. Born on this day, Rock and Roll Birthdays, baby. And we have some ZZ Top, Just Got Paid. And the guy playing the drums on this song turns 72 today, Mr. Frank Beard, born 11 June, 1949. could probably say he plays the drums in one of the coolest bands of all time 60s 70s 80s 90s just did a uh documentary on uh, i think it was on netflix is where i got to see it very cool something about texas little town from texas just look it up netflix uh documentary and you should be able to pop that sucker up but mr frank beard happy birthday dude that's very very cool Wow. Also born today, Mr. Bob Deal, aka Mr. Steve Vai. That guy right there. Makes his guitar talk, this is insane, it must have been really cool to see that live on stage. Anyway, uh, Steve Vai born June the 6th, 1960, so he is uh, 61. That is an age for a very, very, very mature guitar player, guitarist, composer, singer, songwriter, producer for Frank Zappa. David Lee Roth. This one where you're listening to right now, White Snake. Uh, Mary J. Blige. I didn't know Mary J. Blige. That's that's very cool. MJ Blige. Wow. Oh. Spinal Tap didn't know that either. And Ozzy Osbourne, wow. So yeah, so happy birthday, Mr. Steve I. Moving on to the last song of the day. Oh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, this is basically, this is the last song. <laughs> I said it subconsciously. <sighs> At least for the podcast. James Addiction, the mountain song. Happy birthday, Mr. Dave Navarro turning... 56 today. Coming down the mountain. Born June the 7th. American guitarist, also singer songwriter and actor. Best known as the founding member, as a founding member of this group right here, Jane's Addiction. Uh, another great hit they had was Been Caught Stealing. Uh, we may have paid that, I don't know. But this, I love this song, it's this really cool. Coming Down the Mountain, which is the mountain song. Uh, also worked with Alanis Morissette on her album, Jagged Little Pill, and the band Deconstruction. Uh, also who worked for uh, Alanis Morissette was uh, Mr. Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters. I had to had to throw that in there. Anyway, happy birthday, Mr. Uh, Dave Navarro. Also special mention today, Les Paul, born June the 9th, uh, 1915. August the 12th of uh, 2009 was when he passed away. Uh, Also, Prince would have been born uh, June the 7th. Died uh, four years ago on April the 21st, 2017. Other mentions in uh, today's episode, Bunny Carlos from Cheap Trick turned 70. Bonnie Tyler, hmm, 68. I would have thought she would have been a little bit older than that. Excuse me. Uh, (coughs) Tom Araya from uh, Slayer turned 60, bass player, singer. Uh, Oh, wow. Mr. Kayani West uh, turns 44 today. Former presidential candidate to rapper and uh, husband to one of the Kardashians. Uh, Matthew uh, Bellamy. (laughs) I almost called him Bill Bellamy. From the group Muse. There you go, Adam. He turns 43 today. Nick Rhodes. Duran Duran turns 59. Hmm. I think he was a keyboardist, I believe. And then uh, R- Rob Pilatus or Ron Pilatus, the guy from Milli Vanilli, one of the... He was one of them. He was born 1965, passed away in 1998. As we get ready to go into... It's
1: the Tommy
0: and Adam
1: Hard name podcast, birthday number three! Wow. <sighs>
0: I'm probably going to blow through these segments pretty fast i don't have uh my co-commentator here with me so uh (laughs) without further ado let me let me pull out the uh the uh device and turn on the lords of the g-string app and there is the modem Mm -hmm. the anticipation and the excitement is not the same without adam here adam where are you Ooh, wait a minute, I'm forgetting you already, Adam, because <laughs> the app has somebody called Asleen Perez, and it's Asleen, not Asleen, excuse me, my bad, it's A-S-L-E-E-N-P-E-R-E-Z, all together, Miss Asleen Perez, yeah, wow, know, who was the one who gave us, ooh, my Jesus, uh, who was the one that gave us today, oh, it was Agent X3. From now on. You're gonna be known as Agents T and
1: D. Uh, say what? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> you had you had to suspect that one was coming. That uh, Agent X-3 would finally get his uh, own music, <laughs> his own theme music. These are the kind of things that happen when uh, you have too much time on your hands. But, yeah, going back to Asleen Perez. Wow. She has uh, uh, 90,000, almost uh, 91,000 followers on her Instagram. It appears she's on the other social media platforms like TikTok and Facebook. So Miss Asleen has been very busy uh, putting out her... uh, delightful photographs uh for us the public here so uh yeah let us uh go into what we routinely would do here is let's just call them out real quick number three on the way down uh oops, of course that booty, one booty, booty would, <laughs> booty, booty, booty would have to booty, booty activate booty, booty, booty the booty alert, alert. Oh, yeah, she's on a boat. I don't know if it's sunset. Uh, probably sunset. So she's looking towards the west uh, on a boat, eh, maybe off the coast. I don't know yet. But, yeah. Oh, and good thing is she has a hat. She's protecting herself, uh, at least her head. Everything else doesn't seem to be well that well protected. But, uh, yeah, you might want to look at number three. It's a conglomerate of uh, pictures, Uh about number, I want to say, uh, number 13. Let's open that one up. Oh, wow. Yes, definitely. That one there would uh, for sure. Ah, you knew he was coming too. It we'll would be gosilo. Gosito lately has been a little bit jealous. He's been popping up in ECB videos, trying to hog in all oh, this time. I bet you he was a little jealous about that uh, theme music that Agent X3 got. Anyway, going back to uh, number, uh, was it I say number 13, was it? Number 13? Yeah, she is uh, on the balcony maybe of her home there. Uh, and she has a color tone uh, gistro. Wow. <laughs> Very nice picture. Absolutely. If we keep going down, maybe to number 28, 29, she is actually cosplaying. So she's branching out. I think she is going to do not just only uh, uh, beach bikini pictures, but uh, and environment enhancement pictures and probably advertising pictures, but she's also going to be cosplaying. Mm, Can't be mad at her. She has the... uh, The measurements for it. Uh, About maybe four after that one. She's in a kayak. Yeah. Um, Doesn't look like the water's too deep. And the quote there is, in case you were wondering, this is my happy place. Well, I wouldn't. Yeah. No, I wasn't wondering. I'm pretty sure this is your happy place because you're also in uh, the favorite direction that you enjoy being photographed from behind.
1: Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm not surprised.
1: Huh?
0: <sighs> wow. <laughs> wow is right, Miss Asleen, definitely. I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you guys uh, figure this one out for the rest The rest of the photographs that are here, and then if you like what you see or you don't like what you see, just send me a note at Adam at gmail.com because even though I don't have Adam here, I do have one guy that has an expert opinion on this. Overall, good guy and G-Stro expert, Mr. Gee. Well, what do you think? (laughs) Gee likes. I thought so. I also think that I know what Mr. Gee likes the best. (laughs) But. I thought so. Whew. I guess I did okay with that, I was losing steam, I was losing steam. It's, it's a little tricky going from segment to segment, but sure, I'm, I guess I'm handling it okay, because from that we will go directly into... Time! Oh, what the Frijoles? All right, this was used, this used to be my segment, and uh, Adam took it over. And then uh, let me see what I got here. So for the hashtag What the Frijoles, and this is kind of uh, something new for me because I don't wear one, at least not yet. But maybe this is, could be like a uh, public service. So it's 15 bra problems every woman understands. Hmm, maybe that'll help. The dudes that listen to this uh, podcast uh, could help somebody that identifies as a dude as well. Yeah, I don't know. It's a gay pride month, so we got to be diversified here. So anyway, number one, Uh, I may or may not read all 15, but let me see if it gets lame. I'll just go ahead and cut it off. Taking it off and having red marks all over you like you were tied up with it. Hmm. I can see where that's a problem. You got a a smaller brassiere than uh, what your uh, jubblys are. In size, at least, or maybe it wasn't fitted correctly, whatnot. I could see where that's an issue. Number deuce, you will always either have that weird gap where some more boob should go, like uh, maybe more boob filler is what it means there, or that spillover where too much doesn't know where to go. Yeah, that's the one where it pushes down, and then you have that little zap coming up, you know, and then, you know, it's like. And guys can't control themselves if they see that. They kind of want to poke it to see if it goes inside. That that's, would be the only reason they do that, though. Anyway, number three, having literally no idea how often you're supposed to wash it. Now, I think that's kind of nasty there myself. I don't know. Uh, uh, I've never wore one, but I would say that if you wear it, but I do wear clothes uh, every once in a while, or at least undergarments, and I wash them every single time. So I don't get that. I wouldn't know how you wouldn't have that, especially if you had a bra for a while. Anyway, number four, throwing it in the washing machine is basically like throwing it into a room where someone shoots it to death. Okay, so washing machine, I guess, is not the right thing to do with a bra. I didn't know that. Okay. Hand washing it and feeling like there is no way putting it in my bathroom sink for 30 seconds is going to clean this thing. Okay, it says here, side note, hand-washing is a joke. So, I don't know, you either wash it in the washing machine so it could be washed thoroughly, or you hand-wash it and then you have doubts if it has stank on it. Strapless bra. And then it has a little LOL there. And it says, if I started listing all the ways that strapless bras fail every woman over an A cup, I'd be here all day. Hmm, I did not know that. So, A cups... Uh, hold in uh better the strapless bras. I wonder if those like are the uh small cha cha's like you know the jills and lils that are not uh the big kind of cantaloupe ones are because I would think the small Charlies would be the ones that would work very well with I guess with the strapless bra. I don't know. Anything above strapless is not gonna wear. Maybe it's because of all the uh, the uh, jiggling and the jumping or the movement, up and down movement, maybe. I don't know. Feeling your boobs sweating in your bra and being powerless to stop it. Mm, never thought about that. Yeah, I could see that. I ride a motorcycle. Sometimes uh, it's really, really hot and I could feel that heat under my shirt and my pants and my socks. You know, if I have a vest on or something, you can even feel it more. So, yeah, I could see where that's a problem. Okay, number eight, dumb straps uh, that are always falling or showing or too tight or twisted or generally never doing what they're supposed to do. I huh? would think that the bras are up there to give it a little bit more support so the twins are not uh, suffering from uh, the uh, gravity pull. So I guess I could see where that's a problem. Uh, when you're buying a bra but your boobs are slightly different sizes. Ah, I didn't even know that. I, uh, I, you know, not that I'm a bra or a booby expert, but I wouldn't think that that's, a, you know, that would be significantly noticeable. I don't know. I'm sure the ladies do know that. Okay, number 10 is how there is basically no bra on earth that doesn't show through your clothes. Yep, lacy ones, definitely. Grandma bras, without a doubt. Sometimes they uh, still show, absolutely ones that have little bows in the middle yeah but you would why would you do that and like wear a t-shirt I think the ones what the little br- with the little bows and the and the lacy things are for either shirts or maybe dresses or something like that you know and you really as a guy don't get to see that until you know later on that evening mm-hmm. you say wow that looks nice I like that bow there and the magical sound of pre-loving. And there it goes. Especially a fastener underneath that.
1: <laughs>
0: Numeral 11. Try- oh, this is interesting. Trying to put on a sports bra should be an Olympic event. Oh, okay. I could see that. That's the one that has that material that's kind of like... Uh, what is it? I forget. Spandexy. I w- Again, I wish my partner was here. he He's the one with the big words. He probably would have figured out what kind of material that is. I have no idea what those are. But then I understand that if it's not too tight while they're working out, because I guess that's what the purpose of the sports bra is, their maracas would be all over the place. at that, gym, and you don't want to do that, especially if they're running in the treadmill... And things of that nature. Or they're bench pressing and they're lying down while they're bench pressing. And, you know, they have a double D or something like that. And they start overflowing. Yeah, because the the sports bra is there to keep uh, that tight to the body. I got it. I got it. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Number 12, when you read a story about how often you should buy new ones. I I wouldn't know that one. That makes no sense to me. I wouldn't think that after a couple of years you'd also know. Uh, When you would need some new ones, especially if they get like little holes or something, you know, because if I see one with a hole, I'm going to, again, poke my finger in there. When you get measured for a bra and they tell you you've been wearing the wrong size for like 20 years. That's kind of weird. I mean, I know what my T-shirts are and I will my what my undergarments up. You know, poor ladies, they go through some things that we just don't know. That's why men are freaking so insensitive because they don't know this stuff. Oh, by the way, this article is written by Cosmopolitan. And that's who brought you this information. Number 14, when your favorite bra loses its elasticity or pops a wire. It's instant bra funeral. Yeah, I could see that one because number one, the, uh, that wire poking would be a nasty thing. Yeah, throw that shit away. Anyway, number 15 and the last one is the primal need to rip it off your body the second you get home. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry I can't control myself (laughs) That's an homage to my friend And that ladies and gentlemen was today's Hashtag What the free hall is (laughs) and from that we will roll into it's the tommy and adam hard to to name name podcast podcast. sound of the week doesn't it feel good to listen to adam's voice even in the recording so yeah Uh, (laughs) oh my god 15 bra facts wow (laughs) okay for sound of the week i do have some production notes around here uh Evidently, uh, oh, okay, the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name uh, podcast recording team was sent to uh, cover uh, some of this G7 summit that was going on in Europe. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I wonder what they came up with, okay? Keep reading here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. What they did is they went to, uh, first of all, they went to Britain, and they uh, recorded some of the Poms and Circumstance. That the Brits liked putting on for uh, their special guest, and then after this, it says they kept on and they went to the actual summit and got some uh, some audio. So uh, shall we? Okay, there it is. There's the guard. Nice. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> The Queen jumped up on that one. Oh, there she is. Sure <laughs> <enjoying>. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Definitely. Thank you very much. Thank you. thank you. That's If you we have been enjoying ourselves. How does that feel to you, artist? <laughs> I think they've shot that one. They're enjoying themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what goes on in those conversations that we can uh, make very little of. Those Brits are enjoying their Queen's farts. <laughs> but, oh, wait a minute. It doesn't stop there, evidently. <laughs> they failed to give uh, the Queen some Bino some, some fart suppressants. Uh oh. This can't be good. While uh, our president was speaking, that's kind of uh, interesting. So let's uh, take a listen to that. And so uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a it's been it's a values driven. Oh, come
1: on. <laughs> financing mechanism we're going to provide <laughs> and support projects <laughs> in four key, er- key areas: <laughs> climate, <laughs> health, <laughs> digital technology, <laughs> and gender equity. <laughs> And we believe that will not only be good for the countries, but it'll be good for the entire world.
0: <laughs> oh. oh come on. No way. That's disrespectful. Not not while our president is speaking. No way. <laughs> that ladies and gentlemen was it's the Tommy and Adam hard to name podcast sound of the week. <laughs> Another homage to my buddy. I miss you, buddy. Come on back. <laughs> it's the Tommy and Adam in podcast. Motherfucker ah. of the week. I think I'm all motherfucking it out. If, if you guys have lasted this long with me, I really appreciate it. But I'm not gonna torture you guys with a motherfucker this week. We do have, uh, hopefully, whenever Adam comes back, we'll have some of that concert review. And if not, I always have something up my sleeve. So, yeah, we're going to probably just move it on with the last and final segment of our show. Good times, bad times. Good times, bad times, Bad times first, uh, bad times. Mr. Vince Neal of Motley Crue fame and the lead singer of that group that is scheduled to be going out on tour, I believe in uh, summer of 22, had a concert catastrophe out there in Iowa somewhere. This week, it's been all over the news. Uh, I don't know what will be the end result of that, but I mean, the uh, the uh, online magazines have hit that really, really hard. So I guess that is some bad times for Mr. Vince Neal. Oh, and I got to see some of the video footage. So he was looking pretty rough as well. The good times, on the other hand, is Ultimate Classic Rock reports that Phil Collin of uh, Def Leppard predicts that Vince Neal will regain his voice for the stadium tour. And if Mr. Phil Collin is, has anything to do with it, he'll probably whip him up into some kind of shape. So to this story, there is a yin and there is a yang. And that's how I plan on closing this out today. Good times, bad times. Good times, bad times. I made it through. I'd like to close out today's podcast by repeating yet again how much I missed the true star of this podcast, Mr. Adam Tate. Adam, the only thing I've proven today is that. I can pretty speak to myself for a good hour plus, but I need you big time. All right. As always, we want to thank our legion of listeners, our fans, and whoever else subjects themselves to this podcast. We really appreciate it. Keep in mind, life is not that serious. Again, search the keywords, the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, RSS Podcasts, CastBox. And everywhere else, this podcast is on demand and streaming. Activate the notification icon to be notified when we are online and tell a friend or an enemy. In absence of my friend, Adam Tate, I am Tommy Martinez. Today is June the 12th of 2021. And you are listening to the Tommy and Adam and AIM podcast. Remember to always play it often. Play it loud. But play it.
1: The Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast is produced by That's yeah. that Promotion. Yeah. Wichita, the Kansas. That's the promotion. You're gonna be known as agents T and (laughs) A.